Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. So first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, over the last few weeks in First Corinthians, we have learned, uh, along with the church in Corinth, that the resurrection of the believer uh, as, a, as a concept, as a concept, is perhaps the most significant paradigm shift that a person can enter into. All right? And I think, I think that's important for us to take note of. Uh, we've talked about over and over again in a world where death is feared and where, where people obsess about their mortality. I mean, this morning we, we heard from Uriah who said that very thing in his testimony, that he was obsessing about where he would go when he dies. That is, a, that is an incredibly common occurrence. All of us grapple with it. Thank you. I don't know what you just did, but thank you. Um, and, and so when we discover the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ, when it becomes a reality in our heart and our mind, when we discover for the first time that that Christ has saved us so much so that he's going to make our bodies new and that we will live for, uh, with him for eternity in heaven, that alters everything about who we are. That, that is the ultimate paradigm shift in the way that we live and engage in our reality. The Christian belief that we live forever and that God will renew our body as we enter the heavenly realm changes everything about the way we live and see our world. And, and Paul's point is really the following. And so if you're, if you're taking notes, perhaps for the very first time, this is what you should write down. For the Christian, for the Christian, death is less than death. And life is more than life. Everything falls into its proper understanding Life becomes richer when you know Jesus Christ. I mean, can we attest to that this morning? For those of you who were once lost and have been saved, can you attest to the fact that your life is richer in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Life has become more consequential, more meaningful, more purposeful. The moment that you met Jesus, everything began to change and life became more than just life. And in the very same moment, in the very same moment, death became less than death. There is nothing more to be afraid of. The thing that kept you up late at night is no longer something worthy of fear. Death has lost its sting. It changes everything. There is more to our reality than what we experience here on earth. And our hope for that reality lies in the power and the personage of Jesus Christ. Now, as we enter chapter 16... Paul switches gears here, okay? Uh, We will find in chapter 16 a series of instructions. He's going to be very directive here, and it's going to be very helpful, very practical for our Christian living. But here's the thing I need you to understand is that, that before they ever put chapters to this letter, all right, but before they ever organized it in verses and chapters, Chapter 15 just flowed right into chapter 16 in the same stream of thought. And so what I want to point out to you is this, 
is that because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our knowledge of the resurrection, we should naturally behave and act and function in light of that relationship. And so, so now we're going to get all these instructions on what God wants for us and how we should live and, and the way that we should conduct ourselves. And that's a very natural thought in light of the resurrection of Christ. Knowing Jesus and knowing what he's done for you and, and engaging in him with love and intimacy and thankfulness should very naturally produce in us behaviors that are becoming to the commands of God. We should naturally want to adhere to the things that he is telling us to do. So Paul uses this chapter to discuss stewardship. We're going to look at stewardship, stewardship of finances, of opportunity in our relationships, and what it looks like to be liberated in our ministry. Okay, so Paul is their pastor and he's their authority. And so the following matters he wants to be very clear on. And so as we engage with 15, I mean with 16, uh, the, the question that we're going to ask is this. Right, you ready to write more stuff down? Do I find joy in giving? It's the first thing that we're going to address. Do I, do I find joy in giving? Okay, let's pray. And then we will, we will let the word of God uncover truth for us. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for life. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for um, all of the, the wonderful gifts that you've poured out on us from things as, as big and as grand as our salvation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to, to things as precious and small as new babies. Uh, you have gifted us mightily. And, and as we sit in this room, uh, full of, of, of people this morning, we just consider, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? Um, you've brought us together, and, uh, and you have purpose for us. And I pray that none of us would lose sight of that today, that we would, we would all know that your word has something very, very special for us. And we're grateful for the opportunity to hear from it. And so, Lord, set me aside. Um, Lord, I can already tell that, that I'm, I have the potential to, to, you know, just stumble through this and, uh, and get in the way of the communication that you want to have. And so, Lord, help me. Help me with that. Speak mightily today. And, Lord, I just also want to thank you for good ground. And I want to pray for them that, Lord, you would use that group of believers uh, to mightily impact our city. And um, we're grateful for what you're doing. Uh, we can't see the beginning from the end the way you can, but Lord, we're trusting you that you'll use us uh, to accomplish your will on this earth. Uh, so be with us today in Christ's name, amen. Okay, today's sermon uh, is called Within the Act of Giving. Within the Act of Giving. Let's start with verse one. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to, uh, to, to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. 
As we remember in advance of Paul sitting down to write this letter, the church in Corinth had reached out to him and asked if he would help them with some of their concerns and some of their questions. There were doctrinal issues that they were grappling with, moral questions that they put before him, and the, the, the response was this letter. Now, we've come through a lot. We've looked at a lot of things, and, and uh, we've addressed a lot of the issues uh, with Paul as we've walked through the letter, but despite the church's lack of wisdom and moral, uh, their, despite their moral deficiencies, it's refreshing to see at the end of this letter that they asked Paul about how they could give, that they were inquisitive about what it meant to contribute to the work of the mission in other places, that even this immature body, this church that had lots of problems, much like our own, there was a concern in their heart that they might miss out on contributing to the work that God had. And so this is refreshing to see, and so that's what we're going to see here is Paul's going to address them in their questions about giving. Now, one of the most important responsibilities that Paul had during his third journey was the gathering of, special, of, of a special offering, a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem. There were a lot, uh, you know, Jerusalem was a big city with lots of different kinds of people there. There was a lot of poverty there. And during this time, they were enduring a famine that was beginning to affect the congregants in the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul uh, had a heart for the Israelites, and so he began to, to gather resources on this third missionary journey in order to take them to Jerusalem. Paul took this very seriously because he believed it was the responsibility of the Gentile believers to extend the right hand of fellowship and a gesture of goodwill. And the reason is because Paul believed that the Jewish people had given so much in terms of spiritual things to the church that they, it, was, it only seemed right that they should be able to give back. Okay, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 25. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath, it hath pleased them verily and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And so what he's saying is that, is that it's as Christians, as Gentile believers, we are indebted to the spiritual stewardship that the Jewish people had for centuries and millennia before we even came on the scene. All right, so we can look at the testimony of the Old Testament, we can see the saints of old, and we can say, thank you for the testimony of Moses and Abraham. Thank you for the testimony of David and Solomon. Thank you for the testimony of the, of the prophets that came before and the stewardship uh, of, of the Israelites. And so now it, it is our responsibility to bless those that have blessed us mightily. Now, if you remember in our study of Acts, Paul also committed to the elders in Jerusalem that as he church planted and he began to disciple, that he would also encourage them to give to the poor. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, as he recounts that story of going before the elders in Jerusalem. He says, only, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So Paul's heart was to see the church unified that the Gentile church and the Jewish church would come together in unity. 
and that they would uh, do the work of giving to the poor, giving to the needy, which is a critical, critical responsibility for our church as well. And so this unity, uh, this, this bridge building that he was doing between the church in Corinth and the church in Jerusalem was critical. He wanted to, he wanted to build a living faith fellowship, you know? He wanted a loose network of peer churches that were like-minded, that, w- that could serve one another and support one another as they were established in the work of God's calling. So, so none of this is a strange re- request. Paul saying, hey, I want you guys to give some money. This is not a strange request. This is a, this is a common re- request. Bro, if you're going to keep looking at me like that. What? <laughs> Do you like them? Look, Eric, so Eric's talking about my shoes, all right? So that, I, I, don't say, I don't say anything when Eric wears dress shoes with shorts, okay? I don't say anything, okay? But he's up here. The last five minutes, he's like. <laughs> like doing everything he can to keep from laughing, Okay? I like them. They're comfortable. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, so, so Paul is working. He's striving to create unity. And, and this is, this is, he, he did this in all of the churches that he went to. Okay? All of the churches that were being established. All of these church plants were being called into this work of contributing to help uh, those in need. Now, we're going to be talking about giving. All right? And so let's be very plain about what the scriptures say. Let's start here in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, okay, so he gave that order to them as well, even so do ye. And we know from God's word that giving is an essential element to the establishment of a local church and the furthering of the gospel. If the saints don't give, then, then we are limited in terms of our resource uh, as, it, as it concerns reaching the nations in the Great Commission, all right? So, so let's just use a couple of simple examples. The trips that we're making to Nairobi, there, there are about 35, 40, it's growing, it's growing weekly and monthly. Uh, there's about 35 or 40 believers that are meeting in Nairobi, Kenya. Now, this is a work that showed up on our doorstep, right? This is something that God is doing, and he's invited us to be a part of. Now, we're sending believers down there monthly in order to help guide these young believers in, in the work of following Jesus Christ and knowing him more intimately. And in order to do that, the church itself has to subsidize some of these trips. You think that we can just send James Fife like four times a year to Nairobi? You think we can ask him to spend $20,000 on travels? In, in, in a year? We can't do that. We can't do that. But we're not going to leave these young believers out to dry either. So there has to be a sacrifice on the part of the church. There has to be a contribution. There has to be resource in the coffers in order to make sacrifices to help those in need. And look, it, it, it doesn't benefit us financially at all to be investing in a bunch of fairly poor, let's be frank, fairly poor individuals, individuals in Nairobi. We're not getting anything in return this side of eternity. 
The, the contribution is the joy in knowing that we're investing in something eternal that goes beyond what we can see with our eyes. There's a joy in that. That's, that's but one illustration in many. We just brought on Pastor Jeff Grasher to be full-time as a, as, a, as a staff member at Midtown Baptist Temple. Now, if you heard him preach this morning, you should be able to say with me, amen, we need him as a full-time resource on the staff at Midtown Baptist Temple. What he'll be able to do in terms of his time and energy investing in youth is absolutely, it's an exponential gain in terms of his, he was, he was working 40 hours a week teaching, which is actually about a 60-hour-a-week job, okay, giving his time and energy to that, but then also working 40 hours a week doing ministry as a youth pastor. And so because of the contributions of the saints in this room, we were able to bring him away from that other job so he could focus all of his time and energy on, on LFBI and the youth ministry here at church, and then his family doesn't have to lose either. He can, he can have more time and energy to invest in those four young girls, and God knows he's gonna, he's gonna need the time and energy to do it. But, but do you hear what I'm saying? In, in other words, money does something. And it's not, it's not a faux pas to talk about it, right? From the very beginning, from the very first century, the Apostle Paul made it clear that money is a part of our stewardship, that our finances are a part of our stewardship, and the way that we invest them is critical to the outcome of the mission, just like your time is. And so we know from the Bible that there are three types of giving. There are three types of giving that we find in Scripture, and we're going to briefly review these. Those of you who have gone through discipleship or are in discipleship, you should be familiar with this. This is part of the giving lesson, all right? But the very first thing is this, the tithe. We know the tithe. We're familiar with this word tithe. It means first fruits. It's the first 10% of your earnings that goes directly to the work of the local church, Okay? And so it's the responsibility of the believer, and it has been, it has been since before the nation of Israel existed. It was a responsibility of, of saints to give their first fruits, that first 10%, that the work of the ministry might be accomplished, all right? And the church adopted this along with that. It was never rescinded, okay? So we can read in Malachi 3.10, it says, "'Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouses, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now.'" Herewith, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you, uh, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. In other words, God promises that there will be fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness associated with our financial giving and the sacrifices of our resources. Deuteronomy 26.10, And now, behold, I have, bought the first fruits, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house, thou and, and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. Okay, so we know, and we talked about this at the, at the spring retreat quite a bit as well, is that we are responsible for tithing and contributing. Everyone that's a member of this church should recognize that there's a biblical mandate for you to give in this way. Now, um, before I get any further, I just want to say this because I felt led to, is we don't, we don't need your money. 
And God doesn't need your money. Okay? And I'm going to come back to this point later. But if you don't have a heart to give, we don't want it. We don't want it. Okay? No one around here is getting rich off of, off of the tithes. Okay? Every one of your pastors also, also tithes and gives in these ways. And the reason is because they also believe in the work. Okay? You give because you believe in the work. You give because you're a part of this family. All right? Um, in, in my family, everyone contributes. Okay? And they contribute at a reasonable level based on their age and maturation. So shepherd, is responsibi- his responsibility now is to mow the backyard, okay? This is where we're starting. With observation, I stand by. He's 11. Eva doesn't want him to cut his foot off, so I stand by and I observe, and he's learning to mow the lawn. He's going to contribute to the family in this way. He cleans his room. Now, Eloise, she's, she's only six, and she's a wild one, and so if we can get her just to clean up and pick up after her toys and then pretend to wipe things down from time to time, she's so terrible at it, she doesn't know how to do, she hardly knows how to use her own hands, okay? So she just, you know, if she can pretend like she's cleaning up, that's sufficient for me. She's contributing to the family. And why? Because we're a family unit and God made us a family unit and we are all going to contribute. And so if you're a member of this family, you should contribute both your time, energy, and your financial resource. That's just how, that's, that's, that's what the Bible teaches, okay? Um, so there are tithes, there are also offerings, now, offerings, these are voluntary givings, offerings, okay, beyond the tithe that were given by God's people to fund special needs as they arose within the congregation. Okay, Exodus 25, 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring an offering for every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, he shall take my offering. And so uh, special, special projects within the church might look like um, purchasing this building. All right, for those of you who are fairly new to this ministry, for a long time, the college and young adult ministry was without a home. And so we were bouncing around. We were renting down the street, and we, we met for a season during COVID in the sanctuary over here, and then we came over here to the theater. We rented the space next door, and then when this became available, thank goodness we could, we could because of giving, we could, use, uh, we, could, we could take those offerings that were given over to, the, to a purchase of a building and we could make a purchase on this, this resource that we're using even this morning. It's nice to have an air-conditioned place to sit in, in uh, the, you know, the hottest part of the year. Amen? And so we take up special offerings for special projects and things within the church. That has been a common thing uh, even uh, in the days of old in the nation of Israel. Then we have the, sacri- the sacrificial gift. That's the third kind of giving in Scripture. These are voluntary offerings as well. Okay, it's just voluntary giving um, beyond the tithe intended to meet the ongoing and spontaneous needs of the mission. And so this is a sacrifice. This is a sacrificial gift. Um, The illustration that's often used uh, is 2 Samuel 24, verses 21 through 25, where King David goes to King uh, Arana uh, of the Jebusites and asked if he could buy his threshing floor to make a sacrifice there. All right? It was a necessary thing. Uh, David wanted to make a sacrifice there, and he wanted to purchase this. And, and when the king wanted to give it to him as a gift, David said, no, I can't do that because it's not worship if it's not sacrifice. So he had to give money. He had to give over resource in order to make, to make the worship uh, sacrificial. 
Okay? And so it needed to cost him something. And so these are the types of, of, of gifts that we give, these types of offerings that we give uh, that are supposed to meet some sort of, of, of distant need uh, on the mission field. Okay? Uh, it may look like, as we're planting a church, people giving sacrificially to, to jumpstart that work. All right? And so we think, we think about um, the work in Vietnam. All right? There's a lot of people that are contributing offerings. It means that they're, they're week by week or month by month giving to Vietnam so that church might be established. But then there were some people that gave a special sacrificial gift in order to help get people moved over to Vietnam. In other words, oh, I can contribute a little bit more. It's going to sting a little bit, but I can contribute more. I can, I can forego pizza night, or is the, is the example Sam always uses, foregoing pizza night, right? As though it's like 1993 and on Friday nights, everyone just eats pizza. Um, but there are other things. Maybe, maybe one of your streaming accounts gets canceled so that you can give a little bit more this month or whatever it might be, whatever the contemporary example might be if you don't have a pizza night at home. But, but the point is that you give in a way that might sting a little, a few hundred dollars that you, you, you know, you're holding on to, and you give it because you know that when you do give, it's, gonna, it's going to mean more to move Jessica Makona to Vietnam and to help that fund, fund that work of getting her moved over there or Jisoo or whoever it might be. Um, that's a sacrificial gift. All right, so that was a really long overview. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make that so long, but... Historically speaking, we know those early saints, um, they gave, they gave in this way. All right, now we're getting to the meat of it. Are you with me? Uh, we haven't had a key point in a while. If there's another one coming, okay, there's one coming. Uh, historically speaking, we know that the early saints gathered, they gathered every day. All right, and so I want to hit this before we get too far here. They gathered every single day. The early church gathered all over the Roman Empire. They would wake up before the sun came up, and they would go meet with the saints in their community, and they would break bread, and they would sing and pray together before they went to work, all right? And then when work was over, they quite often would come back together, they would do dinner together, they would sing and pray, and then they would go home to sleep, and they would do that over and over and over again. That's, that's what the historical church did. They often met, uh, they often met uh, as often as they possibly can. They could, and they would come together, and they would love each other, and they would, in, in so doing, the first century Gentile knew exactly what they, were, what they were doing. They were distinguishing themselves from the heathen, all right, by coming together and establishing a new culture that honored and exemplified the work of Jesus Christ in their life. Now, here's the deal. We often complain about how often we have to do church and Bible study. We complain about it. We complain. We complain. At, we're sitting at home. We're eating dinner. And we're like, I have to go to Bible study tonight. Oh, crap. Oh, I just, I really like to just hang out and watch uh, some stupid stuff on TV. I really don't. Or we wake up and we start getting ready for church, and uh, and and uh, we're we're, dra we're dragging. We don't feel we don't feel it. We're not feeling it that day, and it's really interesting to me that we struggle so greatly with gathering together. We often do. Now, some of us love it. 
You have seasons where you're loving it anyway. You're stoked about it. But then so often we, we struggle with coming together one more time this week. Oh, we're doing this again? And I wonder, what was it that those early believers knew that we don't? What was it, what was it that they knew that we don't know? I think, I think, from my perspective, they were more grateful for what God did for them. They were more grateful for the resurrection than we are. I, I, I think that they, those Gentile believers knew exactly what they were saved from. When they, could, they looked out across Corinth and they saw the hedonism, right, and they saw the wickedness and the depravity, and they saw what was happening in the temples, in the, in the, in the pagan temples, and they saw the sexual depravity of their culture. And, and they looked around, and they just saw how filthy the world was. And then they looked back at the church, and they considered what Christ did for them. All they wanted to do was be with the saints and distinguish themselves from the rest of the world. That's what they wanted to do. They had a passion for it. They loved to do it, and that's why they did. Now, what's our problem? What's, what, what is, why is it so difficult for us to want to gather and to be together and to do church life together and to sing and to worship and to pray together? Oh, Tuesday night. Oh, man. Do I really, is that really an expectation around here to come and pray on Tuesdays? I mean, we're already doing the Sunday thing. I got discipleship. I got Bible study every other week. I mean, do we, is this really what we're doing Tuesday nights too? What is it that they saw that we don't? I mean, I look around, and I'm, my world look, I mean, the world that I live in in Kansas City looks just like Corinth to me. There's hedonism everywhere I go. It's wicked everywhere. People don't know up from down, right from left. There's sexual depravity on every corner. Truce is still filled with transvestites and prostitutes. Nothing's, nothing's changed in my entire life, 40 years living in Kansas City. It all looks basically the same to me. In fact, it's getting worse. I know what I was saved from. I look out and I say, man, man, praise God that I'm not, that I'm not like them. Oh, wait a second. No, we've forgotten that we are. No, no we, we really, what, what's happened is we have forgotten what God has saved us from. And so what it does is it, is it undermines and depletes the resurrection of its value. It's, and this goes back to chapter 15. We have to understand what God has saved us from, and when we do, we'll know why we gather together as saints. We'll see the value in one another. We'll see the value in our friendships here. We'll see the value in praying on Tuesdays and, and studying the, Bibles on, the Bible on Thursday nights and, and getting together on a, early on Sunday morning to go help with the hospitality ministry. We'll see the value in that. And so here's, here's the key point that we need to get. How you gather yourself with the saints is a reflection of your worship of God. How you gather yourself with the saints is a reflection of your worship of God. 
I mean, what Paul says is now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. He's asking that when they gather together, that they would take up an offering, that they would give, that they would contribute. You can't do that unless you come together. Coming together is important. Now, not just coming together, but coming together with the right heart attitude. Coming together with excitement. What attitude do you approach the church with? How often are you making excuses to not come? Do you resent having to go to one more thing? And so here's another question for you. Who, who do you love more? The lost world or the body of Christ? Who do you love more? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, legitimate, it's a legitimate question. And you can answer it real easy. Who are you spending more time with? Who are you spending more time with? Non-believers that, you know, they're all my old friends. You know, we, get, we kick it. Oh, this is what we do. And I'm doing that tonight. You know, we're going we're gonna to go out and we're going to go see the Barbie movie. That's what lost people do. They go to see the Barbie movie. We're going to go do that, okay, instead of Bible study tonight. Because I just need a break. I need to kick it with my homies. Now, listen. Listen to me. Uh, Who has loved you more earnestly, the lost world or the Christian family of God? Who has, loved, who has loved you more? Well, how do I know? I mean, I feel loved by, I love, feel loved by my friends. Well, who's told you the truth? You, you know who loves you the most based on whether or not they're willing to tell you the truth. So who has loved you more earnestly, the lost world or the body of Christ? Who told you the truth when no one else would? And then, on top of it, loved you despite just how weak you are. I mean, for someone to love you in truth and to see your flaws and and, and to love you anyway, and to choose you anyway, and to invite you in anyway, despite the fact that you're weak and deprived, I I don't think that was the lost world. I don't think that was your lost friends. I get, it, I, I get it that body life is hard and gathering is not convenient, but it's the only thing that's holding you accountable to live beyond your sin. And when you come to meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be with a heart of unity in worship. That should be the heart. That should be the heart behind it. Now, beyond all those daily gatherings that they were doing, they were gathering for Sunday morning church, just like we do. And so in Corinth, they met, they met the first day of the week in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and also to commemorate the, com- the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All right? Sunday was special. The first day of the week was a special time where they came together. It was a special celebration set apart from all those other daily gatherings. And the first day of the week was separated for the sake of worshiping and teaching. But as we learn here, the first day of the week was also for giving. Why? Why? Because giving is a part of worship. Giving is a part of worship. It's a critical aspect of worshiping God is to give your finances. To acknowledge that God has blessed you greatly and that the least you can do is to give to him in return. And it's, it's such a simple idea, but we complicate it because we love money more than we love God. We complicate it 
because we, we prefer mammon and physical things over spiritual things and the God that saved us. And so we complicate it. Well, you know, I didn't, you know, my paycheck was lower this week, and uh, that bill that I didn't expect came in, and, it, and, you, and we make excuses because we love money more than we love obeying God. And the command of Scripture is, the command of Scripture is, if you love me, obey my commands. That includes this. So if you love me, you'll do this. Not that complicated, but we complicate it. It's a spiritual abuse when believers give only as an act of duty and forget that our offering is supposed to be a spiritual sacrifice. So some of us, we're, just, we're doing it despite the fact that our heart's not in it. We're doing it just to obey, but our heart, our heart is far from the work. We just do, it's, it's, it's obligation, it's duty, it's duty before the Lord. And that robs it of all of its goodness. I mean, the only person that hurts is you. It's supposed to be a spiritual sacrifice. Philippians 4.18 says this, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so somewhere along the line, Paul got a care package from Epaphroditus, and it was full of sacrifices that the saints had made, sacrificial giving that they had done unto him to support him. And what he says is, look, that is a sweet odor before the Lord. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable and well-pleasing to God. And I wonder if we recognize that sacrificial giving is worship. Like, like when you see a need and you say, you know what? And this is what I usually do with Eva. I'll be like, hey, babe, can we give 100 bucks to that? Can we manage that? And of course, we usually can, right? Like, it's not, even a, it's not even a question. We just confer with each other, and then we choose to support it, okay? And it's sacrificial. And what that means is that maybe, maybe, Shepherd can go a couple months longer without getting a new pair of tennis shoes, all right? Or maybe it does mean that we got to cancel some sort of streaming service or, or forego, a, you know, a, a couple of Chick-fil-A nights, whatever it is. But that's so worth it. And God sees it as well-pleasing, as good. So, so our, giving, our giving is worship before God. Here's the next thing we need to look at. Giving should be done in an orderly way. You guys hang with me? I feel like I'm going real slow up here. Right? I got to turn it on a little bit. I didn't finish that energy drink I started this morning. In fact, it's sitting in the car right now. And it's probably getting hot. And guess what? I'll probably still drink it when I get in the car. <laughs> I've disgusted Eric twice today. <laughs> Let's see if I can do it a third time. <laughs> Giving should be done in an orderly way. Verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Okay, so some historians uh, suggest that Corinth, in Corinth, it may have been customary to collect wages for people to collect their, their wages on the first day of the week. But that, that really is irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. Uh, there isn't necessarily strong evidence one way or the other. But at the end of the day, what's important is that Paul is advocating for each person to have a plan for giving. To have a plan for giving. 
that each person would be intentional and disciplined enough to set aside his offering at home. Set, set it aside at home. Make a plan. Put it in a little plastic bag. A little here, a little there. Gather your money. Have a discipline in your home, a plan of, of some sort, so that when you come together, we'll gather what you've put aside. He didn't want to, to you know, Paul didn't want to have, you can imagine him showing up to Corinth and being like, okay, I'm ready to, to take the offering to Jerusalem. And they're like, oh, well, we didn't actually, everybody set some aside, um, so you're going to have to go visit everybody's home and gather. No, no, he's like, oh, look, set everything aside and then gather it together, collect it together so that when I show up, I don't have to go hunting and looking for, for the offering, right? There's, there's order to it. He's got a purpose. Um, now, what he's advocating for is that individuals would establish a personal system for giving. And so here's the next key point. How, do you, uh, how you gather your sacrificial gift is a reflection of your spiritual maturity. How, how you gather, how the way in which you do it, the plan that you have, is a reflection of your spiritual maturity. Do you have a plan for giving? Do, do you see all the many missionaries we support and think to yourself, I need to establish a habit of giving. Huh? Okay, another example. Okay, the Clark family. They're, they're back from church planting in London. They established, it, took, it took a decade and a half, uh, but God used them to plant a church in London, and now there's a, a church established there. They've come back to the States momentarily, with the intention of raising funds to go back in church plant again in London to multiply the work. Now the question is, who will give? Who will give? That's the question. So when, when Pradeep and, and Christodos and Ganesh reach out and say, inflation is making ministry really difficult in India, and we don't have enough financial resource. The work has gotten too big. Who's willing to say, I've got, I've got a, at least a sacrificial gift that I can give this month? Or some of us should be willing to say, you know what? I can give a regular $10 a month offering to that. I can give 10 bucks to, to, to help Christodos and Pradeep every month. Do you know how far $10 goes in certain parts of India? And if 50 of us would give $10 a month, look, I'm not up here campaigning for anything. I'm just pointing out to you the fact that God uses money. And some of us are so lazy and so immature with the way that we handle our money, of course we don't have a plan. <laughs> of course we don't have a plan. I mean, how many of us can see all the ways in which LFBI is blessing our church and other churches? Is that something worth giving to? Do you see the walking taco fundraiser and say to yourself, you know, I might not like ground, hot ground beef in a bag. I might not like it. Okay? Uh, but I sure, like, I sure like the idea of supporting missions in India. And so give me 10 of those hot beef bags. Give me 10 of them. I'll, I'll take 10. 
right? Or just forego the hot beef bag and just give the money. Okay? But how many, how many people can see the spiritual truth, the spiritual reality behind the physical and temporal? Do you have a plan to contribute? You know, this is also true for spiritual gifts. Each of us is responsible for how we utilize the gifts that God has given us. And when we apply those gifts, when we gather together with the saints and we apply those gifts, that's what spiritual maturity looks like. So you want to be spiritually mature, well, then you need a plan for contributing to giving back because God's done so much for you. Do you have a plan for giving? Or are you withholding or neglecting God's gift by not thinking about it? Is it not even on your mind? You know? You know? You know? You with me? Okay, moving along. Verse two. Uh, let's, let's look at this next part. Upon the first day of the week... Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Giving should be personal. Giving should be personal. Every one of you. Uh, Paul expected that each individual would share in the offering, both poor and rich. Every one. Every person. Everyone who had income was to share in the privilege of helping those in need. But this requires conviction. It requires a desire. It has to be personal. And so this leads us to to the next key point. The why, the why behind your gathering, why you gather a sacrificial gift is a reflection of your motives. It's a reflection of your motives. In order for giving to be right, you have to be motivated by things bigger than you, things beyond you. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Every man, according as he, as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That's what he loves. He loves a cheerful giver. Not an obligated giver. Not a frustrated giver. He loves a cheerful giver. How you give is important. And this is personal. This speaks to, to, to your heart and your mind and its devotion to the Lord. God's talking to you. And you get to decide whether or not this is important to you. It's within your own heart. Matthew 6, 28 says, For for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure at? People give to the things that they care about. People give their treasures. They, They invest their treasures in the things that they actually care about. Well, if you don't care about the things of God and you're not concerned with his mission... then then you will probably invest your money in Bitcoin. I don't know. I don't, I mean, right? That didn't turn out real well, right? NFTs, right? Probably unwise. Some of us are just eating out every single day. We're just eating out two or three meals a day. And that's where our money's going. And you justify it because it's Taco Bell and it's cheap because you get the the box, whatever that thing's called? The cravings box. You get the cravings box and it seems economical. 
But do you understand that this is a personal, this is, this is a personal, this is a personal issue. It's within your own heart. Where is your treasure? And can you, can you honestly answer it? Some of us just lie to ourselves. That's how we get by. We just lie to ourselves all the time. And so we avoid answering the question, where are your treasures? Where, where are you making an investment? The next thing is this. Giving should be proportionate. I think we've lost the, the PowerPoint. Giving should be proportionate. Verse 2 goes on and it says, Every one of you lay up by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no, more, uh, be no gatherings when I come. See, God expected the rich to give more because they were rich. And the poor to give less because they're poor. According to how God prospered them. Now, sadly, too many of us, as we earn more and more money, instead of considering Christ, you know, we get that, good, that first good job. You know what I'm talking about? You start making a little bit of money and it looks good. It looks good. Instead of thinking about Christ, what we tend to do is we entangle ourselves more deeply in the world system. We just, we have a tendency to make investments in things that look like the world's affairs. When you should be able, you know, uh, you know as, you're, as you make more money, your proportion in terms of giving sacrificially should increase. And so you become hindered by your own terrible decision making. The point of this part of the passage is God hath prospered him is to say this. Don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. But also don't give as a result of, you know, external pressures or, or, or carnal pressures. You don't, you don't need to give because you saw someone else giving. You don't need to give more because, well, so-and-so gave more. Your peers have nothing to do with it. It's personal. You're, you're, what other people do is of, of absolutely no consequence here, okay? The question is, between you and the Lord, what, what is proportionate? What is the proper proportion to give? And to be honest with you, I don't care and no one else cares. It's between you and God. I have never once looked at a tithing record in this church. I've never once, once a year, I will get a list of leaders, Bible study leaders, with absolutely no numbers on it. And it will tell me whether or not the leaders in this ministry are giving. It's like a yes or no thing. And if, and if, the, if the leader isn't giving, well, my question is, why are they leading? That seems reasonable, right? Like if they can't even give financially to the work, well, why, why am I entrusting them with more in the work of the ministry itself, right? So it's a legitimate. But no, none of the pastors in this church ever look at numbers because we don't honestly care. I care enough to pre preach this sermon. That's how much I care. It's your responsibility, it's your personal responsibility before the Lord to determine what is proportionate based on what you make. It's a, it's a free will decision. God has asked you for a tithe. This is his perspective. It's a percentage of what you make. It's prescribed. But your decision to give sacrificially and how much to give is determined between you and him. It's circumstantial and it's not prescriptive. 
And so your willingness to, to give to God's mission is more important than the amount that you are able to give. Your willingness to give is more important than the amount that you can give. 2 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. These are poor folks giving more than what was expected. That's what's happening here. The church in Macedonia was poor. These were poor people, and they gave more than Paul could ever imagine because it was their liberality. It was their decision. They believed that it was their, their, their way of worshiping before the Lord, and so they gave more than was even perhaps what seemed proportionate based on what they made because they wanted to, because they wanted to, because they had the heart for it. Next key point is this. What you gather to give is a reflection of your management. What you choose to give, what you gather together to give is a reflection of your personal management of your finances and your own decision-making, your liberality, your liberty in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8.10 says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who hath begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that there was a readiness, uh, that, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that, of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Okay, and that, this verse 12 is the most important part. So there needs to be a willing mind, a willingness to give. And you've got to determine. You've got to determine how much you're going to give. That's up to you. That's your management. So we need to steward. We need to steward. But please steward with a willing mind. Not a st- Don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. Okay, let's, let's close with this. Okay? Got one more section here. Money should be handled honestly. Money should be handled honestly. Amen? Don't you think, don't you think so? Okay, let's look, look on. Uh, verse 2, the second part there. there be no, uh, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send uh, to bring you liberality unto Jerusalem. Bring, bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Okay, now, the various churches that were involved in this special offering appointed delegates to help Paul manage it and to take it safely to Jerusalem. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 16 through 24, also speak to this financial committee that Paul employed. Now, what Paul is establishing and advocating for here in 1 Corinthians is a method of accountability. It's a method of accountability. So what does he say? Okay, gather the money, appoint respectable men, appoint people that you trust, appoint people that you trust. You decide, local church, you decide. But I want to point out that that he asks for more than one of them. Okay, what's the language that he uses? He uses the the word them. Okay, he uses the word them. So the idea here is that that they're appointing multiple people. So they appoint respectable men And once they are approved, then they can deliver the gift or they can join up with Paul and they can deliver it together. But here's the deal, and this is the key point, and this is the the point I want to make as we close. 
The way you govern money is a reflection of your biblical morality. The way you govern money is a reflection of your biblical morality. Now I'm, I'm speaking more to the idea of the local church and the leaders in your local church uh, than anything else. Okay? We all know, unfortunately, that pastors and churches get in money trouble all the time. And, and it's, you know, sadly, it's, it, it's, a, it's a mark, it's a blemish on their testimony that they can't handle money in an upright manner. And so I, I, I want to I point something out to you that I think is really, really important. Um, leaders in the church shouldn't just be handling people's money. And they don't hear. If someone comes to me, and this has happened in this ministry before, hey, I'd like to give this offering, da, 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 and it's cash in an envelope. I won't touch it. I will not touch that money. And I'll say, there's a box over there on the wall. If you put your name on it, you can claim it as, on your taxes at the end of the year, but I can't, I'm sorry, I can't touch your money. People for the fall retreat are going to be handling, handing money around. And they might come to me and say, this is my money for the fall retreat. And I'll say, I'm sorry, brother, sister, I can't, I can't handle that money. I don't handle cash. Because it's not right. It's not blameless. The last thing I need is for someone to say, Brandon, where did that money go? It's the last thing I need. I don't need money handling to, to, to you know, uh, to make me filthy in the eyes of other people. I don't care about that. I don't want that. And so even like Tyler gathering money for the fall retreat, well, Tyler needs to be accountable. If people hand him cash, he has to make an account. He has to make a record. So-and-so gave this at such-and-such time. And then other people have access to that record. So when it comes time to count the money, Tyler isn't, people aren't looking at Tyler saying, we're missing $250. You understand? How we handle money speaks to our biblical morality. And whether or not we want to be blameless in the eyes of others. Does this make sense? Be careful with money, brothers and sisters. Be careful with it because it will taint the purest heart. The love of money is the root of all evil. And we need to recognize that none of us are above being tempted in that way. So it's important, it was important that there be accountability how they gathered the money, the accountability part, the way in which they delivered it, all of those things are very, very important. And we use these principles in our very own church in terms of how we handle the money. Amen, Eric? Amen. So, <clears throat> that's a lot of practical information, right? But here's the deal. This is what I'm going to advocate for. I've got 30 seconds. I want the worship team to come up. This is what I want to advocate for. I'm going I'm to echo what Paul said. There are needs. You should contribute. Is there not a cause, brothers and sisters? Are there not hills to take? Well, I'm just one person. No, 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 no. See, that isn't, it's just, I don't have much money. I mean, what, what, what would I give? Five bucks a month? I mean, 
I'm a college student. I work part-time in the summers. It's like, what am I going to give? Oh, I don't care about that. That's not, that's not what's important to God. What's important is are you willing in your heart and mind? Do you have liberality? Are you giving out of liberality? Are you, are you willing to participate, to be a participant in the mission that God's called you to? That's what it comes down to. And either you are or you're not. And I will never know one way or the other. I love you either way. But the point is, we all, we should all want, if, we, if Jesus Christ has saved us and he's delivered us and the resurrection is ours, belongs to us, then we should want to be a part of these things. That's, that would be a healthy response to someone saving your soul. Is Yeah, I can set aside $10 each month to make sure that, that the, Lar- the Laramie team has enough resource to throw a party for the internationals where people come to Christ. Whatever that thing may be, I can do that because God's given me so much. That is what true liberality is. It's to be set free from the bondage of your worldly constraints and to see things in an eternal perspective. And so I'm going to have people up front. This is going to be a weird invitation. Um, If you need to repent of the way in which you've been giving, come forward and pray with somebody and get it right. Don't be afraid of that. But here's the other thing. Maybe you need some financial counseling. Maybe you want to give, you just don't know how. Okay? If you need a little financial counseling where you're like, okay, so here's the deal. I work this job. My, the way I get paid is not, it's not consistent. And, I, you know, I have not been giving and I'd like to give. And how do I go about doing that? Come forward and talk to somebody. If that person, if that person can't help you, Members in our church, we provide financial counseling for members in our church. And you can sign up. You can sign up. If you're a member of Midtown Baptist Temple, you can sign up for financial counseling. And someone will sit down with you and we'll work out a budget. And we'll figure out what it looks like to get your finances in order. We want to help you. Okay? You guys with me? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully practical sermon. But guys, just remember, just because it's practical doesn't mean it's not spiritual. What's God saying to you today? Let's ask him. Let's ask him to help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time and your word. We thankful, we're thankful for how plain you speak. Uh, teach us what it looks like to give sacrificially. There are so many wonderful projects that our church is a part of. All of us can't contribute to everything. Um, we've got to make decisions. Like, what do we have a conviction about? Well, Lord, would you put that in our heart? Would you show us what we need to be giving to? Um, I mean, even just today, there's opportunity to give to India. Uh, Lord, would you show us how we can be a part of that? Uh, We love you. We're grateful. You've done so much for us. Um, We're thankful for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and, and the freedom that we have. Lord, I pray that you would show us that our freedom is intended uh, to make us servants. It's a, it's grace, it's grace that, that binds us to the brethren. And so we become a servant to all men, just like Christ was. And so teach us what that means, that, that we, wouldn't, we wouldn't use our free will as an occasion to the flesh, but we would use it as an occasion to serve your mission. So teach us. We ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, For service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.